Ladies and gentlemen, this is Kim Greenhouse from It's Rainmaking Time. I know you haven't heard from me in a very long time. I haven't disappeared. I've just been in Europe, back and forth from Europe to the United States. And you are tuning into a show about new and ancient knowledge and discovery, the wonder and marvel of the human spirit. And several years ago, I was in Glastonbury, England, and ran into two jewels of Glastonbury who happened to have what is called Avalon in Holland. I'm here in the Netherlands with Sig Lundgren, who is a geomancer, a professional dowser. He also does tarot readings. We're here today to talk about his work, his life, his expertise, and understanding of this realm, this practice called dowsing. He is the author of the book, Spiritual Dowsing, Tools for Exploring the Intangible Realms. He also has written a book called Ancient Myths and Modern Uses, Labyrinths, Revised Edition. If any of you are interested in labyrinths and what they do, you're going to hear about that today. He is the author of the book, The Dowsing Rod Kit. It contains L-rods, marker pegs, notepads, an illustrated book with contributions from the world's expert dowsers. And also the pendulum kit, all the tools you need to divine the answer to any question and find lost subjects and earth energy centers. Now, you all know if you've listened to It's Rain Making Time, I have a fascination with water, with ancient knowledge and new knowledge. We've had many, many wonderful dowsers, but very few total geomancers here. I think it's really important because Sig has been around a long time and he's carrying many of the secrets of this trade and field. Many of the treasures are here, right here in the Netherlands. We will also be having his wife, Karen Schluter. Did I get it? Okay. <laughs> Who will be talking to us about her work in distant healing her new transformational process of working with clients in five-day segments and cycles and some of the groundbreaking work she's doing with them. She's here while we will be talking to her husband, Sig, about his work in dowsing and geomancy and work with uh, labyrinths. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Sig Lundgren to its rainmaking time. Well, it's good to be here, Kim. Thank you. Thanks for, it's good to have you here and um, I remember meeting you both in Glastonbury and knowing that you were carrying the secrets of the ages. And I had to come right through Amsterdam, didn't even stop except to get a ticket to come to see you. At the end of the train line, we're here in Avalon, Avalon of Holland. Thank you for having me here. Well, it's lovely to have you here in fabulous downtown Enkhausen. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your work and how you got into dowsing. You're from the U.S. Yes, I'm from uh, Vermont. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful state. Sure is, and uh, home of Bernie Sanders. And uh, my mom taught me how to douse in about 1959. That's when I was born. I was a little young. Uh, yes. Tell me about that. Well, um, we were looking. Um, sh she had been taught to douse by a guy named Terry Ross, who was one of the last century's master dowsers and later president, uh, president of the American Society of Dowsers and was one of my core faculty when I went for my master's degree in the study of sacred space. But uh, she taught me how to douse looking for pipes, bringing pipes, bringing the water into houses. And we built these clumsy L-rods out of iron coat hang hangers. And um, I doused where they were, and then we could go down into the cellar and take a look and see where they came in, and I hit it on, so that was good. And so that was about in the... Uh, late 50s and I didn't really pick it up again until I did a stint in the military and what kind of a stint what kind of a stint well I was Is it classified can you talk about it actually it was <laughs> how did I know I it, had a feeling that was classified it was in Berlin uh did you've been in Berlin of course I did you hear a place called Teufelsberg where there was a ski hill and it was made from the rubble of World War II is that where you were and I was there on top with a listening post listening to the East German Communist Party. Wow. And it was quite boring. <laughs> <laughs> but there were some exciting moments. But in any event, I lived there for uh, three years, went, went to school for another year, so I, I did four years in the Army. 
And then when I got out, I finished my uh, college degree at Middlebury College. What'd you study? Drama. Drama? I was a drama major. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, then Terry Ross came into my life, and I began to get more and more interested in ancient sites. And it turns out that New England has a large number of them that basically the straight anthropologists and archaeologists are calling colonial root cellars. And they're these underground chambers um, that are oriented astronomically towards significant horizontal astronomical events like the equinox or uh, winter solstice sunrise through a notch in the hills kind of a thing. And they're built made with certain ratios, geometrical ratios, a very few handful of, of geometrical ratios that help you vibrate better. It's like if you build a guitar or a violin, let's say, it has to vibrate at the tones you want to make. Well, these chambers are like, for example, uh, Calendar 2 in central Vermont uh, is, has a 2 to 1 ratio, which is an octave. And uh, you sit in there and you look out the door and the winter solstice sun rises through a notch in the hills on the horizon. And that tells you when it's going to be hot. The sacred geometry helps you vibrate. And then there are these things called lays. Now, some people call them ley lines, but the gentleman who discovered them, Alfred Watkins, never used that term. What are they called? Lays. And uh, when people say, uh, I'm interested in lays, but I'm also interested in the energy that flows along some of them. And uh, another teacher of mine, John Michelle, uh, said, Sig, you got to stop. You got to stop calling these things that you're dowsing lays. So I changed them to energy lays. So I'm interested in lays, alignments of sites, five within a 10 mile stretch usually is defined. And energy lays is, are these yang, straight yang beams uh, of energy that come from above and flow along, sometimes along lays and sometimes not. Actually, in New England, there are many more that don't follow sacred sites at all. But, um, there would be standing stones, there would be uh, perched rocks, there would be uh, these stone chambers and other things in New England. And uh, most of what was written about these was uh, done in England, or British Isles, I should say. And so uh, over the years, I got more and more interested in sacred sites. And in the late 70s, I got my master's degree that studied astronomy, geometry, and and the uh, earth mysteries and uh lays the energy the earth energies it's the earth's meridian lines if you will that's more clear yeah that's that's much more they're straight that's the issue and they're yang in nature and what does that mean when you say they're yang in nature i mean i think most of us take that for granted but i don't think a lot of us know what that means well yang means they've got a positive charge okay and they when they cross together cross over each other there's always underground water primary water down below and that's the yin part of the of the diagram, if you will. And so um, I was looking at all kinds of things in in England that just attracted me like mad. And finally, in the mid-80s, I moved over. And I moved to Glastonbury, uh, which is a center of that kind of uh, interest, the earth mysteries, as they're called. It not only deals with sacred sites, but it also deals with secular sites, which is healing sick houses. And Karen is working with that. She might talk a bit about that later on. Right. But it's, it's uh, basically houses can make you sick if, if they're especially over underground yin veins of primary water, which didn't come from the sky. They came from down deep in the earth, and they come up like a geyser or a geezer, as they call them over here. <laughs> and, uh, and they usually hit an impermeable layer, and they go out as veins. And if you're sleeping over them, they can, they, they're like vampires. They can suck your energy, your life force. Your aura shrinks when you spend time over them. Who taught you, though? Did you actually work with the man who in, who recognized that there was something called energy lines or what you call, you know, ley lines or energy lays? Well, Terry Ross introduced me to all of okay. this stuff. But actually, I made up the term energy lay because John Michelle made me find that when you douse a lay, it may or may not have that energy flowing along it. Okay. And so to differentiate the two, I talk about lays which are alignments of sites, and energy lays, which are these straight lines of yang energy. There was something when I was in Glastonbury that people were talking about the Michael lines. Yeah. What is that? Well, if a, if a lay and its energy system is like the capillary 
capillaries. I want to say capillaries, as they say it over in Britain. <laughs> We're inventing uh, new words here. It's great. Um, the Michael line, which is a line that runs from southwestern uh, England, uh, from St. Michael's Mount, up to the northeast through places of Michael churches, including the Tor, which has the Glastonbury Tor, which has a Michael Tower on it and on up. That's more like a, a, an artery rather okay. than a capillary. So it's a big trunk line. And that one runs all the way around the earth, running through Ayers Rock in, in Australia. Is there anything with the Michael Line in France? Oh, yeah. Not not the Michael Line, but those big... big uh, other big lines, uh, yeah, yes. Other big lines come up from uh, uh, Israel. Really? Up through to uh, the Michael uh, Island in, in Cornwall and then out to Ireland. So, yes, they run through there, too. Do you think that, in your experience, that the conflict in the world in different locations has something to do with these lines? Or the way that the, the cities or the locations are set up or designed? Or? Well, many ancient cities are certainly built on them, and their cathedrals were built on them. When the earth energies aren't happy, people aren't happy, I guess is how I would put that. And if you, if you sleep in a house that has these veins under them and you're not neutralizing them... Uh, it can make you grumpy, and that's what starts these kinds of things that we're dealing with today. I think it's always a challenge for people that live between the world that we can see and structure mm -hmm. and the unseen world. So if you take these lines um, that you find where you have this yin energy running underneath, let's say, somebody's bedroom, and you say you can neutralize mm -hmm. them, to the average person saying you can neutralize matter sometimes it's a challenge for somebody to hear. Is that what you mean? Yeah. You step farther and farther away when you're dealing with these energies because their energies are not a physical thing. It's from the other side. It's spiritual energies, if you will. Uh, on the most basic level, you can neutralize a vein that goes through your house by taking a rebar, you know, rebar, reinforced yes. concrete. Uh, yes. Rebar, a foot and a half of rebar, and drive it into the heart of the vein on either side of the house and it neutralizes in between. This is totally like structural acupuncture. Yes, in it the is. world of matter. It's called earth acupuncture. It's also like vampires. How you kill a vampire is you drive a heart stake through the heart of their veins. <laughs> now when you say vampire, yeah. you mean like energy suckers. Bella Lugosi? <laughs> I mean energy suckers. Okay. Energy suckers. Now, we're not talking about physically doing this. We're talking about in the spirit, yes? Well, in terms of the, the first thing that I learned how to do was physically. Douse the vein, find the heart of the vein, and drive a rod right. down But that's there. in a house context, that's right? That's right. So when you talk about energy vampires, you're talking about something very different. Oh, yes. Yeah. Welcome to my laboratory. <laughs> what is geomancy? What is it? Okay, geomancy is geo, like in geography, earth, mancy, divination of. So it's divination of the earth, and it's looking at the earth from uh, a dowsing point of view. And Terry Ross, being a master dowser, taught me how to douse, and it is an integral tool. Dowsing is an integral tool of the geomancer. But there's also, you need the awareness of sacred geometry, and you, well, you need to know history, you need to know archaeology, you need to know a lot of different things. So it's, it's like a generalist rather than a specialist. Your training was through initiation, though. Learning direct with a teacher, correct? Uh, in part. Your mom first. Yeah, yeah. And then Terry. Yeah, that's true. Did it go on? Did you learn? Oh, yes. Well, John, John Michelle was another one of uh, important teachers. John was uh, the father of the Earth Mysteries in the last half of the last century in Britain. Wrote the View Over Atlantis and the New View Over Atlantis and many other books. And he was a wonderful man. And he taught me a great deal. But uh, also through my association with both the American Society of Dowsers and the British Society of Dowsers, where I served as a trustee on both and ran their schools, I learned from many different geomancers. Great. Let's talk a little bit about your book, Spiritual Dowsing, Tools for Exploring the Intangible Realms. Is this book available for yep. purchase now? Yep. yep. Gothic okay. Image. And what when you wrote this book, um, you, you, I noticed you have the fourth edition with updates and new information. Yep. What did you hope to accomplish in writing this book? Well, that was my first book, and I wanted to show how working in sacred space, which has that astronomy figure, the geometry figure, uh, and the earth energies, how it can enhance the possibility of connection. So if you really want to experience the spiritual realms, you can do that in Times Square in New York, but it, it helps if you're in a 
more of a sacred area. And uh, it's like uh, you want to vibrate properly. You want to be energized properly. You want to be at the right time there because it's not always of equal intensity. And the astronomy tells you when that is. Do you believe or do you accept astrocartography? Like where they do astrology and they look at where you would best be located? Well, or is that a different it, it, kind it, of attempt it, to it, do it, it's geomancy? A it's a different way to do it. But yes, you don't want to live on a power center. Like, Give I us like, in a couple examples. I like baked Alaska, but I don't want to have it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. And that's what it's like to be living on a power center. And Can you power... name some power centers? Oh, sure. Stonehenge, uh, Chart Cathedral, any of the stone chambers in most of the stone chambers in New England. Avebury, what's it called? Uh, Avebury, sure. Avebury. Oh, absolutely. Avebury is a big guy. And uh, out west, it would be uh, places like Chaco Canyon. The Medicine Wheels. In Ohio, it's the Serpent Mound and the mound-building people of the Mississippi and the Ohio River Valleys. Everybody was doing this until uh, the Protestant Reformation when Western man learned that was all baloney. So they forgot it, and they're our loss. But it's coming back now. It's coming back now. More and more people are looking into that kind of information who are serious about growing spiritually rather than just... Christmas and Easter Christians. I notice in, uh, I did read Spiritual Dowsing Tools for Exploring the Intangible Realms. Really enjoyed it. Good. I know, I haven't read your book on labyrinths. Uh-huh. Ancient Myths and Modern Uses Labyrinths. Could you talk a little bit about that? I, I, they're so ancient, but how to use them is a whole other thing. Is it Native American, or labyrinths, or is it way before that even? Well, there are Native American labyrinths, uh, especially at the Navajo and out west. What are they? Explain it to us. Okay. Well, there are two things that can be confused. One is called a maze, and the other is called a labyrinth. A, ma- a maze is has high walls and many choices. So I'm walking in there. I came to a Y, and I went left last time, and I'm back here. So that didn't work, so I'll go right and see if it'll take me. So it's, in essence, a left-brain puzzle. It is relatively recent compared to labyrinths, which are single-path, low-walled spiritual dances to the center, to the goal, where one achieves the vision one is looking for. Talk about that. I'm sorry? Talk about that. There's no right way to use a labyrinth. It's used, has many different purposes. It's wonderful, for example, to have a a flat-pathed one in a hospice where uh, mom can be pushed around by her daughter through a labyrinth and find relaxation and relief and brain balancing. A labyrinth looks like a brain. So that's one way. Another way is in schools where more and more are being built in schools, and they're outside, and... uh, when Johnny is messing around too much in class, the teacher can say, Johnny, go outside and run the labyrinth three times as fast as you can. Now, this is a discipline, but Johnny doesn't see it that way. He says, hey, man, I'm out of, <laughs> I'm out of class. And, and so he runs it as fast as he can, has a good time. And meanwhile, while he's gone, the teacher can do some real teaching because Johnny isn't there. But when he comes back, he's a bit different. He's a bit tireder, but he's also more balanced. And so it's good in schools. They're found in cathedrals uh, all over France, Chart Cathedral being the most famous of them, but there are many others. And that is definitely used for spiritual growth. You stand at the mouth at the beginning of it where it opens up the one place where you have a choice, am I going in? And you state your intention. I want to know uh, how I can become closer to my maker or anything, anything else. Should I take this job that's been offered to me or whatever? But the point is that you walk it, and if you use it on a conscious level, on each path you can do something different. You can look at it uh, at a mental point of view. What do I think about this? And and an emotional point of view. How do I feel about this? Uh, On the physical level, how much is it going to cost me? And then how how will this thing that I'm working with affect my spiritual life? And then you kind of shift gears, and you come on the shortest path of all, and that is great mystery, my word for God or goddess. Be with me. That's all the time you have on that path. But you invoke your spirit, your deity of choice. And then you get a vision on the fifth path. And it's like just something comes. Don't be making it up. Don't be saying, oh, what am I going to get now? No, just see what comes. And always go with your first choice, first thing that comes. 
Can I interject yeah. something here? You had said to me earlier, which I, th I thought was really important too, that a labyrinth invokes the subconscious, what's mm -hmm. in the subconscious, to work on whatever it is you mm -hmm. state when mm -hmm. you're going into the mm -hmm. labyrinth. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, it's all, uh, this, this. the final half of the labyrinth walk is about subconscious stuff. Stuff coming from your, un I call it unconscious, but it's coming up from places other than rationally thought. The final path is, okay, uh, I can get to God by um, taking some courses. What's my first step? Every journey starts with a single step. And so, again, you don't have to think about what it is. Let it come. And then you come into the center with a possibility. And then when you walk out, it's like you see that first step and you see what it is that you can, your solution that you've been given, the vision, and you thank God for being with you. And then you come to a place where, um, I read this book called Teaching is a Subversive Activity. <laughs> Sounds like a great book. Oh, it's wonderful. Neil, <laughs> Neil, Neil Postman, the guy named Weingartner, and he wrote it about uh, 1970. And basically, his subversive activity was, get this, now this is really getting kids to learn how to think. That is not done a lot in schools. But in any event, at that turn, you turn on what he calls your crap detector. And that is, have I just been fed a load of crap? And that happens sometimes in a Absolutely. labyrinth. And so you, what do I, how's it going to affect my spiritual life if I do this? How's it going to affect my wallet if I do this? What do I feel about this solution? What do I think about this solution? And if it all goes, yes, 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 yes. Then when you get to the mouth, you turn around, thank the great mystery and walk off. How long in your experience in, in walking into a labyrinth do most people spend? Is it 15 minutes? Is it 30? Is it an hour? Is it 10 minutes? Now let's see. I have a piece of string here. <laughs> It, it first I mean, of, I mean, you've yeah. done it so many times, and you've taught other people. Yeah, I'm it, sure there's some sense yeah, of it, it. Depends upon which labyrinth you're talking about. There's the chart type labyrinth, which is very complex and medieval mind going wild. I'm interested in a much earlier one called the classical seven circuit. But there's eleven circuits and fifteen circuits and three circuits. So it depends upon how how long and, it is. And they vary in and they vary in in size. They vary in size. So you can have a, a, a seven-circuit labyrinth that is quite small. You can do that in 10 minutes. But there are seven-circuit labyrinths that are much bigger. And then maybe it takes 20 to 30 minutes to I walk see. in and out. It's not only, so not only the type of labyrinth, but also the size that's true. how the labyrinth is being built. So when people are walking a labyrinth, they're going to an existing one that's already been set up. They're not designing their own labyrinth. Yes. Yeah. The answer to that is yes. <laughs> uh, there are many more. He always says yes to the things I go, this, this, and this. And he'll go, yes. I go to which one? <laughs> there are many more new labyrinths than old ones. Very popular. We're members of the Labyrinth Society. Uh, there's even the Labyrinth Locator, which you can go to on the internet. That's my dog Snoofy shaking in the background. Hello, Snoofy. Hello. <laughs> you should see the look on this dog's <laughs> face. Okay. Um <laughs> So uh, you can type in what state you're in, what town you're in, and see if there is a labyrinth in your area and give it a walk. Sounds fantastic. Yeah, it is. They're really neat. They're, they're intuition enhancers is what they are, I think. When you did the dousing rod kit and the pendulum kit, uh -huh. you did that for a reason. There were others out there, but mm -hmm. why did you do it? Well, a very good publisher in London, Edison Sad, asked me to do the pendulum kit. And basically they had an idea of some things they wanted in there that I didn't have in my spiritual dowsing book. And also they wanted me to expand it from not only sacred space to, is this banana ripe? To, should I take this job? The only thing you can't douse for is what you can't think of. So you can douse for anything. And so this pendulum kit, which ultimately sold a million and a half copies in 15 languages, Wow. Uh, was a real success. Then uh, I think they're, they're going to be doing that again. I just learned they want to do a publication. And, the uh, well, the pendulum kit was so successful to do this, it didn't do as well. But it's it's how to use But the Elrod. Elrod kit, I would say, is more for walking the land, isn't it? It's more, or, or I when I think of dowsing, and I think when many people hear about it, they think of an Elrod as a tool uh -huh. And people walking land to find either minerals or water, etc. Lost rings. Lost rings? Yeah, sure. I lost my 
my wife, first wife, lost her wedding ring, and we doused for it and found it on the lawn. So anything you can think of, you can douse for. And L rods are a good way to feel that energy because when they go out, uh, you can feel it in your hand. See? That's true. Yeah. I've worked with one. One of the first shows I did for radio was with Bill Cox. Yeah. The late Bill Cox. Of course, he wasn't late then. He was very much there. Yeah. And it was really fun. Yeah. It was really... Well, he, I, I've used his aura meter uh, a lot, and uh, I find it's very helpful for others to see what I'm looking at. I can trace the vein, and they can see how the vein flows. Uh, it, it helps others see what I'm doing. Did you know Bill pretty well? No, I didn't. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure I ever met him. He lived out on the West Coast. Yes. And I, I'm a Vermonter. <laughs> and so I I don't believe I've ever met him. I wrote to him a couple of times. Yeah. He was a wonderful man. Yeah, good wonderful dude. Wonderful man. He had worked with the late Vern Cameron. Oh, yes. Who was also, I guess, one of the first known dowsers, yep. right? Vern, Vern Cameron was one of the early dowsers in the society, yeah. Uh, did you ever meet the man who wrote, oh, God, Bird? Chris Bird? Chris Bird. Yeah. Christopher I knew, Bird. I knew Chris Bird quite well. We were both trustees at the American Society of Dowsers. He wrote The Divining Hand, right? That's right. Yeah. He was he was a very interesting gentleman. I'm, I don't think I'd like to talk much more about him. Because, no, no problem. I just, you know. Just what he was involved me. with was sometimes more covert things. I hear you. Okay. <laughs> Moving right along. One of the things that attracted me to coming here, aside from meeting you several years, three years ago, was that I went online to YouTube and saw you do a instructional video on how to douse. Right. And I was so impressed with that. And I have interviewed some pretty heavy hitters in your field. And I haven't quite heard it the way you shared it. Oh, thank you. And the you. way you taught it which was so respectful and so honorable. And I'd like to know if you would share some of that about how to prepare to douse. Mm -hmm. Just take a couple of minutes and just share. Well, because that is so important. And I think a lot of people are out there dousing without preparing the mm. ground for it. I agree with you. First of all, it's based on need. Dowsing is based on need. If you need to find something, the chances of your finding it are a lot better than if you're just doing it for a goof. If you can take a moment to tune in to uh, uh, the great mystery or your, your deity of choice, that helps. When I'm using a pendulum, I talk about, I ask, now, this is what I want to do. I want to be dowsing to find out where the nearest sacred place is. Okay. Can I? Which means, do I have the dowsing skills to find the nearest sacred place? May I? Do I have permission? Now, permission is, um, I think, very important. You don't, I remember when I first began to douse, I'd walk along the street and see pregnant women and say, oh, you're having a boy. That's not on. That's called psychic rape from my perspective. So you got to say, may I douse the gender of your baby if you want to go that route. But in any case, whatever you're dousing, you need to have the permission of the people that you're doing it for. And then, uh, am I ready? So this is what I want to do. And when you say, am I ready, am I ready to know this? Am I ready to start dowsing here? Oh, okay, that's distinct. Yeah. Am I ready to start dowsing? Yeah. Okay, that's the am I ready. Yep. And then the biggest bugaboo with dowsers is once they've asked the question, they think, oh, well, if I'm looking for water in this field, there's the lowest place. That must be where it is. Wrong. Um, that's not, that's your left brain interfering with what's going on. And so you need... <laughs> You need to uh, do something to get... Once you've asked the question, you don't need to do anything more on a conscious level. My wife, Karen, goes 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 until the pendulum responds. I, I treated it as... When I was a kid, I remember at Christmas looking under the tree and I saw these packages with my name on them. And I wonder what's in this one. Oh, and I wonder, here's a bigger... Oh, oh, here's a big one. I wonder what's in... I wonder what the answer's going to be. I wonder what the answer's going to be. I wonder what... As long as you're saying that or counting to 20 or whatever, your left brain doesn't get a chance to say, oh, it must be in the lowest point of the field. And then comes the answer. And then finally, is this the truth? Because that's what I you love want. that you ask that. Yeah. Terry Ross used to tell me, any dowser who says, I always get the water when I douse, you should fall on your knees before perfection incarnate. 
<laughs> Be- because nobody gets it right every time. And one of the deities that's associated with dowsing is Mercury, Hermes. Hermes was not only the messenger of the gods bringing you the dowsing response, but he was also the god of liars and thieves. And sometimes dowsing lies. And if you can hit like 90% of the time, you're really doing very well. So it's important to set up and get ready and do it with respect, and then your chances of getting it right are enhanced. And in quiet correct? In some yeah. modicum of quiet. Mm. You also do map dowsing. I do. Let's talk a little bit about that. And then I want to talk to Karen about distant healing. Okay. So in a few minutes, we're going to go to Karen Schluter. Yeah. Terry used to put it this way, for the purpose of the search, the map becomes reality. And I find it's much more effective to douse on a map that your client, if you will, has drawn by hand. Rather- really? Oh, you know what? Can I? I have to tell you something. In remote viewing, yep, they do. They have this protocol where they write on paper. A, a coordinate comes in, and they do an imaginary squiggle line based on their subconscious, based on the coordinate. Mm-hmm. And when you touch your fingers to that line mm-hmm. you just drew, based on the coordinate, your subconscious drew this line. When you touch it, you start all the imagery starts coming in. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, It bypasses the mind. Yeah. But the idea of drawing it by hand puts their character and their affinity with the land into the drawing. And if they're living in Puerto Rico, uh, I can't go down there, so uh, the map works fine. And I just find that map dowsing, I, I would never go, well, I wouldn't say I would never, but I would prefer, if you want me to douse your field for water, I would prefer to douse the map first. So then I know roughly where to go. And I think uh, it's a, it's an economy of scale thing. It's smarter mm, and wiser mm. to do the map first. Yep. Because no pun intended, you get the lay of the land. <laughs> Is that where the lay of the land came from? Probably. <laughs> Now that I brought it up, I think I think that's where it came from. I actually don't know. How, <laughs> how do you spell the lay of the land? I don't know. Who knows at this point? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so talk about some of the talk about some of the interesting applications for dowsing that you've experienced already. Map dowsing to find where you're going to live. That's right. Yes, we've done some of that even this very day with you. That's right. I've been here, God knows, after living all over the place. (laughs) We're narrowing this puppy down. (laughs) Um, Peoria, Illinois sounds like... No, I mean I'll see you all in Timbuktu. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's there's basically sacred geomancy and then there's secular geomancy and that's more equivalent to... The Chinese feng shui. Right. And uh, that is healing sick sick houses. And I'll let Karen talk about that. Fantastic. We're going to go to Karen Schluter, who's a uh, distance healer, energy healer. Yep. And apparently you do work with sick houses too. Yes. And I do readings for people that that is about, I think, the same. Talk about that. First of all, sick taught me how to do, to deal with sick houses. And uh, I like to call it geomantic space clearing. We both work on it, really. And um, we receive requests from people and they send us a hand-drawn map. And of their house. Of their, their house and their land or their business. And then we uh, start dows- map dowsing and to see where water comes in the earth underneath the house and how the energy pattern of the house is or the land. I like to do it together with Sig because we get the yin and the yang, the female and the and the male uh, perspective on it. I find very often different things than Sig finds, but we combine them together so we get a, a complete image, uh, energetic image of, of the house. So let's take some applications. When, when, when a house is what we would call sick or just having problems in the house, or people are having problems well, in the house because of the house. Yes. Some sometimes people... it's the water, right? But sometimes it's something else. Yes, it is the energy of, of the earth, the earth energy that is disturbed by the, by the building, for instance, or it's the earth energy that people pick up on that is not conducive for their own energy. Some people say we really like the house, we love where it is, but it f- doesn't feel like ours anymore. 
And then we start looking for how the energy of the house is in combination of the energy of the land. Okay, talk more about that, that distinction. The energy of the house versus the energy of the land. Sometimes I have to think about that. Okay. Okay, you can come back to it. I think a house, how it is being built, can have an influence on people. Absolutely. The structure of the building. And... You mean like Washington, D.C., the way Washington, D.C. is laid out? And the buildings in D.C.? For instance, Look or... how sick Washington, D.C. is. You want to say something sick? Well, I think the, uh, the idea here is that today when people build houses, they just build them wherever they feel like it. And that isn't how it was 500 years ago. And so the houses are built helter-skelter across the surface of the earth rather than with any respect to what's going on energetically. If, if it's built in a place that's disadvantageous from an energetic point of view and you're, it turns out there's, you're fighting a lot with your partner, that fighting thought form hangs yeah. in there and really causes, enhances the negative aspects of the place. So it's both where it's located and what happens in the house. I did an interview with David Vancouvering who is a born-again Christian minister, but he's a physicist, he's a quantum physicist, and he talked about how matter has memory. And that we know this now for a fact, and nobody, it, it, it's no longer that people can argue about this. Places oh, yeah. have memory. Everything that is, you know, everything is alive and remembers and has the memory of what happened before it and in it. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of people don't, is it true that that's why a lot of people don't want to buy a house or be in a, a home or a facility where anybody was murdered? Could be, yes. So how do you clear a place? I mean, is it possible to clear a place where somebody was murdered or died violently? Yes. Really clear it from the place? Yes. By working with the uh, thought forms of the house. And, and what does that mean? And For those of us that are unfamiliar with that word, a well, thought form. Sig, Sig just said that um, when there is a continuous argument yes. in, in a family, in a house, that energy stays there. The, the negative energy of constant bickering or, you know, um, aggressiveness, verbal aggressiveness. How Sig uh, taught me, and many other peoples in his geomancy schools, you can neutralize the energy by visualizing a, um, yeah, you call it a gardel shield, like a, an infinite pad of shields are hanging above the house. And every time you think, okay, the house is not okay, um, the, the energy of the house doesn't feel good, you can lower an energetic uh, uh, pad through the house and pin it down imaginary yes underneath the house so it keeps everything underneath yeah oh i see what oh. you're saying like a compression like compressing the whatever it is the negative chi down to yeah. the ground and mother takes it back mother earth takes it back okay you know yeah. some people will hear that as kind of I know. You know what I'm saying. They're going to hear know. it like new agey mumbo kind of. Well, but 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 it but but when you do space clearing and you and you do the clearing of houses, mm -hmm. it's serious business because people are suffering. Yes, they wouldn't call you unless they were no. suffering over something yeah. serious. And what we do is we teach the owner of the house or the main proprietor proprietor to do this themselves in their own house. So we give people always tools to maintain the energetic health of their house themselves. So what we do is we, we have a three months project, three months time. We come into a house or people come to us with their, or send them their blueprint of the house, hand-drawn. Hand-drawn. Do people Import. have trouble doing that? Some people make it too complicated, but we really want to have their land, the border of their land or their garden the outside of the house, the inside walls of the house, and where they sleep, we would like to know that, or where they spend the most time in their house. And then we first talk with people to know how do they behave in a house? What is happening there? How do they sleep? How is the 
energy in themselves are they happy there where are they unhappy what do they feel and if we then hear that there's lots of bickering going on the the thought forms that are not conducive to a happy life then we neutralize them yeah then we daily check the house after the first clearing if the energy is still high as we want it to be high and um, after the three months process we come back to them or they come here or we do it by email or phone or skype and uh, have a questionnaire to ask how the house feels now. And if anything happens that we don't think is right, we do the process again, but then not in three months, but in a much shorter period. Am I saying it right, Sig? Yeah, you are. There's there's one thing that got left out, which was uh, where it began was, how do you deal with someone got murdered in the house? Uh, or what we might call discarnates or ghosties and ghoulies and things that go bump in the night. And they must be dealt with first. And basically, Terry taught me a process to help people with my spirit guides to carry that discarnate, and you uh, douse, is there more than one? Go to the strongest one first, and you take them to the other side where um, they will meet someone they know who will help them on with what they need to be doing next. So it's moving the, the, the discarnates, the spirits, on. There are different levels of spirits, and some heavy-duty ones we call demons. But uh, basically, it's getting your, your guides, your spirit guides, to help you move it, and you use some love in your heart, and you give it to the guides, and they use that to take the people over to the other side. And you may have heard of the astral world. Yes. Okay. The astral world is between here and the good stuff on the other side. And it's where it's where all kinds of... I think a lot of people in men, mental institutions spend a lot of time in the astral world. And so you must... What about Alzheimer's patients? Because I felt my mom who had Alzheimer's spent some time there too. Yeah, could, could be. Could well be. You just don't look at them. You focus on where you're going, not what's on the sideshow on the sides and uh, help them across. Then you take the next strongest one and so on. Usually there's only one or two. And when you say discarnate, again, it's, I mean, it's something we should, all should know what it is, but how do you define what is disincarnate? Ghost. Sig, I really would like to talk about that, but I want to invite you back to its rainmaking time when we are doing a segment on ghosts and what many refer to as paranormal activity. It deserves its own full space. And right now, before we bring in Karen, I want to talk a little bit about its rainmaking time for a minute or two and let you know that since I have been living in Europe and then came back to the United States and gone back and forth and have taken on some rather complex pursuits to interview leaders in different areas of politics from different parts of the world. I don't have the same support structure that I did the first five years of doing its rainmaking time. And people's schedules have changed, their lives have changed, and I really could use some assistance, some volunteer assistance in editing. So if you know any audio programs, uh, we could use some editors, some copywriters, people who are good at writing, who could write up the segments on itsrainmakingtime.com, people that know WordPress, anybody out there that knows Photoshop and is very good at it, that could be available once a week for us, and basically people that can pitch in about three hours a week. That's what we need, three hours a week. So if people provide those different areas, this thing could get done and we could do more shows and take on much more. Also, if they're people that know video and are used to editing video and you'd like to contribute, we would love it. We'd like to start doing some trailers, but we certainly can't do it alone. Also, for those people that would like some voice advertising or some advertisements written and would like to deploy my voice for products and services and business offerings, either on your website or on its rainmaking time, please call 626 398 8652. And we thank you very much for listening. And we're going to come right back to this segment on dousing, earth acupuncture. And we're going to bring in Karen Schluter. And then we'll bring Sig and Karen together to talk about their very unique marriage. Let's talk to you a little bit about your distant healing work. So what are you doing? And are you a clairvoyant? 
Um, or clairsentient. Or clear audio. Yeah, th- th- How do you call it? A lot of the above. Um, <laughs> Which, <laughs> well, you know. You're answering like SIG. Yes. Yes. To everything. Some clients wake up another part of myself through their questions. I tune in and uh, I get images. And sometimes those images come through inefficiency or I hear something. Sometimes I smell a smell and I, I know I have to dive into that smell and talk about that and what that could mean for the client. Have you always been this way? Yes. Did you have to hide it when you were younger? No. No. Really? No, no, no. My parents were very open to all the facets of their daughter and we're all kind of psychic wow so and you come from a psychic family yes how and about we, you say um my mom was quite supportive but not not to the extent that uh karen's parents were of their children are you psychic clairvoyant yeah i guess yeah well my, my master's degree was psychically perceived energy systems uh-huh. <laughs> and I must say that my mother always told us for daughters that I remember in the 60s, sometimes it was poo-poo to say, uh, you know, uh, the female intuition, ha ha ha, does that exist? And my mother would yell, yes, it does exist. And I have it. And my daughters too. You know, it's it's the, the, the female sixth sense. And but so, developed. And Some people come in very developed. It sounds like you did. Yes, and life developed me in that way. You know, getting kids, growing a family, having animals. Animals are, as you know, perfect beings to connect with on a different level because they do not understand us. And um, we can have telepathic conversations with our animals. It's fantastic. Yeah, and that happens with our little Snoofy too. When people come to me with questions about their life, I tune in. I mainly see visions, images. How quickly do you get it? Very quickly, because I've learned to immediately accept what I'm seeing. I guess it's part. I, I, I guess it's part of it is the seeing, but the other part I think of the art mm-hmm. of being clairvoyant, having the gifts develop, is the the art of translating it to another so as to be useful to them. Mm-hmm. Which is also part of the gift. Yeah. And that's why I like to write the readings. Explain it. You do like automatic writing? Well, I think part of it. I like to do email readings because I take the time. I write maybe in one or two days, sometimes three. And it comes in chunks of words, paragraphs. Maybe I, I sit with a question for a few hours and things will start bubbling up in me. I start seeing images maybe i smell something maybe i hear something in my inner with my inner ears and i write that down so in the end the client has a long long email with questions to their answers and they might be different from what they expected you mean with be. answers to their questions oh did i say you it said through? questions oh. to their answers yeah, Nathan, which could put me in a jewish synagogue Asking a million questions to the rabbi and getting a question being answered with a question. Yes, yes, yes. So we want to say answers to their questions, right? Otherwise, we're going right over to Jerusalem to talk to the rabbis. (laughs) Talk about the five-day process that you're doing now. So what I I do is... I think people should hear about it. It sounds interesting. People receive a written reading from me after we've had a conversation. And... That is day one. Day two, they absorb the reading. And I write also for everybody a very personalized visualization, uh, helping them with their questions. Then, um, so I want people to get to get familiar with the imagery I use. And then the consecutive five days, I do a distant healing in the morning and in the evening, a total of, of 40 minutes. And then the, then I, how do you say that? Uh, communicate with, with the client and they go on a journey in those five days. They don't have to stay at home. They can go to work, do their daily lives, or if they wish, they can sit quiet on, uh, on a, a, a certain uh, hour 
which will we agree upon. So after this five-day distant healing in relation to their question, um, they get a complete image of where they are in life, how they are in life, what the possibilities are with their life, how they are being well healed is a big, big word, but let's say energetically supported in every possible way to take the next steps in their lives. There are many people in the psychic field today, very much like the internet is a saturated marketplace. It's a saturated market mm -hmm. from everybody who has basic intuition to high-end clairvoyance. And so I think for an end user consumer, they're looking to discern on a consumer level who will get me the specificity in terms of my issues, the knowledge, the clarity, and the healing energetically that would create openings for them in their mm -hmm. lives. And so anything that's very, very different that can take people and into a kind of transformation, but this is a distance healing, it's different. Mm -hmm. It's not like they're in your house for five days. Mm -hmm. They're not no. in your house for no, five days. No, they're not. So some people may think, who are more left brain, how can it possibly work? Can you speak to that? Energy does not take a place or a time. Energy is everywhere. We are all linked to each other. All our energy systems are linked to each other. You know, we live in the universe. We do not live on earth yes we do live on earth but not only in the earth we live in the universe and we know that the universe is full of energy and we are part of that energy how i see it and we all have that connection with the divine and through the divine we can feel one with one another at least that is how i see it energies our personal energy and the universal energies are like pathways and i can together with the client, open those pathways so I can get more information about what they need and what they want in life and how to describe that and take them to a next level in their lives. Very beautiful. Do you work with their picture or image? Yes, Is that I, helpful to you? Yes, and is I, it a necessary component of your distance healing? I really like to have a picture of... Current picture or any a picture? A current picture is fine, yes. Yes, I, I like to do that. Um, it makes it a little bit easier to uh, make that connection. And sometimes when I look into people's eyes, I can see a vulnerability that not many people will uh, be able to describe or see. And I like to write about that to them. Is there anything else you'd like to say about the work that you're doing or distance healing? How do people reach you? They reach me through the website. That's, what is that? Yeah, that is www.avalon.co.nl. Say it again because we had a nice growl there. Yeah, www.avalon.co.nl or the complete English version uh, it, it, that's a Dutch and English version website. And I have another website that is karinschluter.nl. Spell it for us. I started to speak a little uh, a little Dutch. Go yeah. ahead. www.karinschluter.nl. Say it again now. Karin Schluter. Dot NL. Okay, perfect. That's it. Fantastic. You've been married how how many years, both of you? Well, just the two of us? Yes. <laughs> well, together, we have many years, many years of marriage. <laughs> together. 18 years. That's a long time. You guys should get like a Nobel Prize just on the marriage front. <laughs> I'll take them. Okay. And yes. <laughs> go ahead. It's nice to work together. It's good to work together. It's not always easy. <laughs> I had an opportunity to interview Swing Out Sisters lead singer Corinne Drury, who's with Andy Connell, and they compose music together and sing together in a band called Swing Out Sister. And one of my fascinations in life have been and have will always be couples who do their dharmic work together, who love each other, who are together, and who have calling together. And I just wanted you each to say a couple of words about that. 
Take it away, Sig. Well, first of all, uh, we're both ordained spiritualist ministers, and we went to the Fellowships of the Spirit in western New York, and I taught there for 26 years. Karen was there for 10 or 12. We were ordained and carry that as our spiritual card, if you will. I also wanted to say that Karen uses those two websites that she spoke about. I'm I'm in the avalon.co.nl, but I also have geomancy.org, G-E-O-M-A-N-C-Y.org, where a lot of what I was speaking about today can be found. That's fantastic. And where do people buy your books? Amazon. Amazon. And Gothic Image in Glastonbury. But Amazon, it's just, it's the quickest. And what's the one over here? Go, bold. Bold.com. B-O-L.com. Bold.com. That's for the Netherlands? Yeah. And Sig, do you want to say a few other words about uh, being in a marriage for 18 years and going through trials and tribulations together? You met at the Chalice Well, the famous Chalice Well in Glastonbury. <laughs> what a great place to meet. I thought so, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> Is that blessed? Well, wow. it's, a, it's a very special place in Glastonbury. I think probably the most overtly sacred place in Glastonbury. And I was there one day just by myself looking across the well. And I saw this gorgeous woman who was sitting over on the other side. And uh, she was there. Karen was there with her sister, Carlene who had just lost her daughter, 17-year-old, with brain cancer, and she wanted to do a special ceremony for her daughter, so Karen came over to support her. And Karen had read one of my books, one or more of my books, Labyrinths, Ancient Myths, and Modern Uses, and uh, she met the author, and it's been going on ever since. Isn't that exciting? What a, that is such a mystery in and of itself that mm. you would meet there. Yeah, I called it lust at first sight. <laughs> I want to know where you were at the chalice well. I'll go back for that reason. <laughs> you must have been right there at the chalice. At the well, yeah. yeah we were. I am going to ask you what I asked Karen before you came back in the room. Did you know from the time you met that she was it? Truth. Because usually women know before men, but go ahead. Let's well, hear Well, yeah. You did. I, 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 I was quite shy, and so I didn't... Uh, wasn't overtly expressing my feelings right off, but uh, I did quite quickly thereafter. So, uh, yeah. You knew. I knew. Were you shocked at how fast you knew? It was. It was quite quickly that she decided to move over to Glastonbury and live with me, and uh, yeah, very nice. I tried it, and I liked it. (laughs) Karen, how about you? Pipe in here. Well... These two were mysterious, everybody. I want you to know. So you got to listen to them when they tell you how this thing unfolded. I knew it. And we only met three or four times. Or the, f- the fourth time, we just decided, okay, this is it. And there were three short meetings by coincidence, too. Because I came back to Glastonbury and there was Sig. I came back with my daughter and we met Sig again. And Sig was just visiting, like I was visiting. And it was constant coming together. And, um, well, I, I knew. I knew it. And we at one point said, okay, we can go arming and eyeing over this. Should we do this <laughs> or shouldn't we do it? I was 43 and you were, well, 13 years, f- 56 or something like that. And, and we said, you know, we both had a life before this. We are not 16-year-olds eloping. We know what we are doing. So we did it. And we're still here. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I want you to know that I'm so glad that I came to the Netherlands and stopped here first. Well, it was wonderful. I'm so happy <laughs> so, to see you after, so, after so three years, three yeah. years, and so great to be with you. And I feel just so appreciative and so admire both of your work and your lives. And ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to find out more about them, they've given you their website addresses and you have a glimpse of their bodies of work and what they're doing in the world. And I just want to say thank you. And when good things happen, we say it's rainmaking time. Please go to itsrainmakingtime.com or you can get this on It's Rainmaking Time at iTunes or It's Rainmaking Time at YouTube. And we thank you very much. This is Kim Greenhouse.